Good evening. Welcome to Carbide Content. I'm one of your hosts, John, and I'm joined by my next in line host. I am Dalen from MachineWise. Excellent. I'm David from Contraption Collection. And I'm Fellowship Blades from Grant. Perfect. Okay. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. The lathe. I want to know about it. Yep. My lathe? Yep. Okay. So we had we took delivery of it on Friday. Nice. Um, it, it squeezed in there quite nicely. I got the shop all laid out, so we're happy with where everything's at. Um, it was delivered and installed on Friday, so it was leveled. I got power to it, air to it. Um, nice. Holy crap, that thing requires a moderately large breaker. It's on a 100-amp breaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, the electricians decided to run one-gauge cable yep. per leg because that's you know what they decided was the best for it, and that was expensive. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like twenty one, twenty two hundred bucks for the uh, for just the drop to be done. Oof! I know it caught me off guard by a bit. Um, and then I didn't have like I didn't have snips like wire snips to cut one gauge wire, so I had to <laughs> I had to go buy that buy like I had to buy welding lead uh, connectors for like like actual like welding uh, cables in order yeah. to crimp the like crimp on the ends of it because the wire was so thick it wouldn't fit in the terminal. It was a whole thing. In a, in a pinch, you can go to like AutoZone and get like huge audio cables because audio oh, files. Audio cables. Stuff. That would have been a good idea. I tried Ace and then I tried. Um, they have else. the lugs. They have the crimp lugs essentially that are the same. Uh, I sh- I should. That's a good idea for the future. Good to know that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so lay this in. It has power. It has air. It turns on. It all works. Um, I was supposed to have the IMCA text, which is the bar feeder, come today and tomorrow for the install. Well. Uh, mm-hmm. eh. That got pushed back a week for no reason. Yep. So that kind of sucks. Um, spindle liners were supposed to be on order two weeks ago. They got ordered today. And actually, you need the, the spindle liners are to run the bar loader. You basically have to have them, right? Yeah. So interestingly, uh, this bar feeder, the pusher for it only goes down to 14 millimeters. So I'm only going to be using one spindle liner for probably ever. And that's a 14 millimeter spindle liner. Gotcha. Uh, so I'll use that even for like quarter inch bar, which I thought was kind of sketchy, but they're like, it'll be fine. I'm like, oh, all right. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. They say it'll be fine. So, eh, whatever. Um, I'm sure it will be. The The liners are also full polyurethane, which is cool. So even if there is some vibration, it'll dampen it a bunch. Mm, oh, that's cool. I, thought the, I thought the liner comes really close to hugging the bar when it's loaded. It's supposed to. Uh, usually you get liners per bar size. Yeah, so I just um, wonder, like, 14 mil to a quarter. That's going to wobble yeah. in there. It'll wobble. I'm I'm told it'll be fine. It's not enough wobble. I don't know. They do it all the time. So that's it's not it. a full that's not a full 12 foot stick, though, right? No. So the bar feeder is only a four foot capacity or like just over. I think it's like 50 inch capacity or something like that. It's all metric. I don't remember off the top of my head. Gotcha. Um. But yeah, so I think next week I'll actually be making chips. I have the first round of training tomorrow just to go over the control and, you know, all that jazz. And then I have a, uh, I have an ISCAR tooling rep coming in tomorrow to help me figure out what, you know, stick hold, like stick tooling I need and what inserts I'm going to want and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I was, I was playing around briefly today trying to figure out how I want to hold like, you know, center drills and drills and what and whatnot. Yeah, I started Googling online because all all the shank holders for them are three quarter shank, or like mm-hmm. three quarter bore for shank. So I was like looking up three quarter ER twenty, you know, 
lathe tool holders and Tormach TTS came up. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got a bunch of those. <laughs> nice. And they fit like perfectly. So and has an added bonus of if I ever take them out and put them back in, they have an accurate surface where they relocate in, I guess, Z. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, it's everything like, is it, everything's it chugging along. Really fast from you telling us that you were getting it to actually. Yeah. It. Funny pretty, enough. Pretty this, impressed, actually. I've been a little bit disappointed with this one. Um, so I put the down payment on it uh, on July 3rd. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been 15 minutes away from my shop since then. Mm. Um, so like spindle liners were supposed to be ordered well in advance. Um, I am were supposed to be here, you know, today. Mm-hmm. Um, so like all that stuff. So it actually took longer. It'll have taken longer to get this machine running with it being local when I bought it versus the brother. Yeah. But, but the brother you didn't like, there isn't, there isn't like a separate company that runs like right. the chip. Yeah. There's, for- brother yeah well, there was yeah i didn't have to rely on a secondary company for the bar feeder or something like that so there is that to keep in mind um, yeah it's like so it's overall, one of those things it's been like, pretty quick yeah even though it's like right next door it's one of those like right. weird logistical things yeah we have to ship it back across the country and then back yep. to you <laughs> yep yep so overall it's it's it is chugging along pretty well i, I was hoping to make chips on it this week because we're getting really low on pivots mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yep. we'll we'll figure it out um but yeah so next week there'll definitely be chips yeah have you right. got a post processor for it that spits out um, any sort of working code yeah so supposedly the post processor for fusion um is really really good for it uh i nice. don't know if it'll support um like like pickoff mm-hmm. operations i don't i've never done uh pickoff operations within fusion i've always used a part maker on the swiss side when i used to do swiss stuff yeah um, so I figure worst case I can manual and see it in there and then adjust the post to, to do that. Yeah. I'm sure there are people out there with like really well fledged out posts that would be. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and I mean, Doosan is known for their lathes and this is like mm-hmm. a super, super generic popular lathe that they that they make and sell. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. Um, it's a finite control at the end of the day as well, but it has this, they call it the IHMI on top of it it's like an overlay so it's touch screen has all this fancy stuff to it now yeah so i have to i have to relearn fanook basically which is interesting i think then the nickname is sexy fanuk is the is the is it? yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's definitely moderately sexy looking yeah i mean anything is compared to fanuk so yeah the good news is like as far as like the post goes anyways even on my lathe which there is yep. like a real supported post you can get right. the post at least C-axis working code, and it runs oh, on yeah, the totally. Lathe, so I'm yeah, sure I'm for not, Y-axis. I'm not too worried about it. You yeah. know, the only part that I might have some issues with is when I go to make the clip, because uh, I'm my goal with the clip for pens. I should I should say we will be making pens eventually. Hardware comes first, and then pens. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to make the clip, and I want to support it with the sub, so have the sub and the main clamped together, and then do some fourth axis work on it. Yeah. Um, so there'll be some post-processing I, modifications I have to do, you know, certain M codes it might need in certain places, but I think it'll be n- nothing I haven't really done in the past, just yeah. on a lathe instead. Are, are you trying to keep the tools, like, standardized in it, or are you going to swap tools for yeah, jobs? So, you not yet? so at all the shops I worked at in the past, they already had 
lathes with the like BMT whatever tool block already on the spin or like on the turret. So it was much easier for me to standardize things then. So I'm starting from scratch right now with my knowledge base. Yep. So the goal, I don't need that many tools, fortunately. I want like a rougher and a finishing turning tool for main and sub, um, a threading insert for main and sub, a couple live tools on each. So I'm hoping to standardize most of it. It's just the collets, obviously, that won't be fully standardized per job. Yeah. Or like, a you know, I'll have to swap out collets depending on what job we're running. Right. Yeah. But we have the Royal QG65 collet chucks on it. Nice. Those yeah. are like the quick change ones. Yep, they're the quick change ones. They have this like six hundred dollar tool that you use to, yeah, pull collets out in like five seconds or something. So, yeah, that's a pretty nice looking system. Yeah, it seems to be pretty industry standard. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully next week we have chips going on it and spitting out good pivots because pivots are the first thing we're gonna do. I got a uh, lathe related programming question. As far as like your Z zero goes, do you? Yep pick like the front of the stock or like the front of the collet because some people have a very strong like dug-in preference i know that people yeah i know so like the way i used to do it at the previous company on like so they had an st20 and an st30y there was no sub on it but it had a y-axis and life tooling um Mm. i used to just program z off the face of the stock but because bar feeder and everything else i'm probably going to go off the face of the collet yeah because that collet's flat on that right it is. Uh, it is. The collet mm-hmm. still gets pulled in, unfortunately. I was really hoping that it would be an outer sleeve that pulls back, so the collet always stays in the same place. So I'm I, I'm probably going to do it off of the face of, like, the collet chuck itself. Is the is the sub dead length? Or is it also got, like, a so pullback it, distance? It has an identical uh, Royal QG65 on the main and the sub. Those are dead length? I thought they were. I don't think they are. Royal... Huh. Gee. Because like, I think the, I think it pulls the collet in. The problem with not having dead length on the sub is when you transfer it, uh-huh. you well, you know, but like, yeah, because yeah, I thought sub was like you can you don't have to have dead length for the main just because you know you're starting from there, so it's like raw material right. essentially. But yeah, when it's going to the sub. You kind of want it to be dead length, I guess, because right. There's the collets I just linked. I can link the chuck itself too. I haven't yeah, really I can't, uh, thought about the sub really needs it more than the main spindle. Right. I mean, even on like the um, no, on the on the L12s I used to run, they did have a dead length on the uh, on the sub, and well, the main didn't even have anything because guide bushing. So, mm. but I like I was looking AccuLength fixed position call it maintains precise Z axis part positioning, so it is dead length apparently. Yeah, that's, but it, that sounds oh, good. But it sure looks like it pulls the call it in. Oh, here's a split view. You can Maybe. the way the dead length works is instead of pulling the collet, it should just squeeze the collet essentially. So it like pushes a sleeve that collapses. Oh, I see the sleeve that pushes. Yep, I'm I'm seeing yeah. the I see the pusher sleeve now. Okay, cool. Okay. So they are dead length. That's, That's awesome. Good. Yeah. That's very good. The, yep. In that case, then I'll probably zero off of the collet. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, even even on mine, it's not like a flat. It's uh what's the big C call it style? C C C eight. Yeah, I don't I can't remember what it is. It's Are they like, bigger than that one. So five C is the like brand. Five C is the small one, and then the other I can't remember what it is. Whatever. Yeah, they're big they're big call it's on the main, and I ended up using like I actually turned the face 
of the oh, outer God. portion of it. I only removed Yo. like five now, but just to make it yeah. flat, and then I program off that. Nice. Okay, cool. Yo. Yeah, because I got so, have... so confused with the numbers as far as like, okay, you're in, you know, like G55 for the sub, and now the right. numbers are positive versus yeah, negative. Yeah, backwards. Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I can't right. understand these yep. these changes. So that it made it weirder. It's super weird on like a Citizen L12 because uh, all this, the spindles on the wrong side, the main spindles on the right, and it bar feeds from the right. Yeah. And so all your Z moves are positive on the right, and I think negative on the left. Yep. It's all backwards oh. and confusing. Yeah. Yep. So I have a lot to learn. Um, I've never set a lathe up from scratch in terms of like tooling it properly and and knowing what size tool blocks it uses and everything else. So there'll be a lot to learn, but we'll get it going. So yeah. you're going to mill Torx uh, as well, right? Yeah, we're going to mill Torx. So we're, we're going to do T15s on our screws. I heavily okay. debated about putting Torx patterns on the pivots. Um, but they're going to be machined pretty much identically, and I don't want to put the Torx pattern on the pivot so people don't try to tighten from the pivots. <laughs> yeah. As yeah, you're very well idea. aware, Grant. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it, so it I think does, we're going to stick to smooth pivots. It does really come in handy, especially if a customer Loctites and then sends it back it does. and you have to work on it. Like there's, um, there's so many benefits both ways, and I'm so torn. So for now, we're going to keep our pivots at the same, basically. You yeah. could do like the tamper proof Torx or maybe just a different size? Um, I think so. We were, um, I had a uh, Martin, our engineer, I had him modeling up our, our hardware and, and screws with the, with a T15 in it. Um, and I think the, like the root radius of the teeth for a T15 is like 40 thou or something. That sounds right. It's horribly tiny. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't, I only have 6,000 RPM with the live tooling. So I don't we'll <laughs> see how that goes. Yeah. I mean, broaching is not out of the question, right? I don't want to broach, but it's not out of the question. Okay. I don't like the look of a broach. Like, I just don't like how they look. I mean, granted, it is it is better than our current hardware where it's just stamped, but... Yeah. Are, are you going to, since you're milling, like, the broach will be cheaper, but are you going to mill Torx Plus, or is this going to be regular Torx? What is Torx Plus? So, off the top of my head, like, it's just like trilobule or something in the corners yeah. versus uh, at a sharp point. So it okay. increases the contact pattern. Grant, if you know, you can. Yeah. Oh, so my like standard Torx is, is, is it a, is it a sharp internal corner there? Basically, uh, if you look at my pivots, if you have uh, yep. one of my knives, the, my pivots are Torx plus the pivots. And screws. Okay. So and it's because they're, they're round on the tips. Yeah. It's yeah. It's essentially a larger contact area at the tip. Uh, ergo, it's round at the tips, which just helps it, like, um, that's the best way to put it. If it's going to strip, uh, there's way more material that it has to strip out of the way than if it's sharp. Got it. Basically. Okay. Yeah, then yeah. I think ours will be Torx Plus, probably. I'll have to do more research yeah, on that to make sure. I'd recommend but, it. I mean, they're, they're, they're backwards compatible, so okay, um, cool. it should be good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, your milling time isn't going to change very much between the two. No, it's not. And It'll still be a moderately out. long, like, it's still going to be a moderately long operation yeah. either the, way, because, I mean, the what a 40-thou end mill. The brooch yeah. for Torx Plus is, like, I don't know if it's licensed or something, but if you compare it versus a regular Torx, it's uh-huh. 
at least 4x the cost for some reason. Wow. Honestly, hey. like, I mean, I have a feeling that the, the cost on that is going to be so insignificant. I just spent, I bought two QG65 collets today, and each one was 400 bucks. Oh my yeah. god. The, the Torx Plus brooch for like a T8 when I was looking at them was like $1,300 or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. Like, I don't know why. I'm not, that doesn't even phase me, honestly. It's silly, but it doesn't phase me. Like, I'm going to spend another probably four if, or five grand if, tomorrow. If it makes I'm you money, then, you know. It yeah, shouldn't exactly. Yeah, I'd like to not broach if I can, just because I don't like how it looks. I want a much more quality, uh, you know, visual quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we'll see. I got a lot of testing to do, and we're, in, we're running pivots first, so I, I'm not going to put torques on those anyway. Yep, blades are cool. I just wish they were easier to set up. It's, Dude, that's right? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Tr- my goal is to standardize the tools as best i can so the only thing that swaps between jobs is bar size and the and the sub spindle call it yeah i mean could you i know you because you're doing clips it's it's like harder to ask this but could you just standardize a bar size because honestly they're like kind of cheap yeah so right now i um i'm for all of our so i'm going to split it into like two things we have pen which will probably have one standardization and 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 balisong hardware And the Balasong hardware, I want to see if I can turn the bushings accurately enough before I get centerless ground stock and spend, you know, buy like 250 bars. Yeah. Um, if we can turn the, if, if we can turn the OD, then I'm going to standardize Balasong hardware to a 316 or a 516 bar diameter. Yeah. How and then I'll, of yeah. tolerance do you need on the like OD? Because I mean, what's centerless ground good to like two tenths or something? Yeah, it's like it's like plus or minus a tenth, I think, or like. Yeah, it, I think the overall range is like two tenths. Um, I'm hoping for like plus one tenth minus three, so a four tenth range should be more than viable. Yeah, I think you could easily pull that off on yep. on the lathe. It I'm depends also, on how long it is, but yeah, exactly. I'm also getting uh, I'm getting a second AC for the shop. I think next weekend or this this nice, coming weekend, nice. and it's gonna sit right above the brother and the lathe, uh, mm-hmm. in the hopes of better thermal stability. Perfect. So you should. Um... The whole like on the business machine, they were talking about Saunders was talking about like the aquarium pump heater thing. Oh, you should yeah. try that in the I should in the uh, what do you call it? The coolant tank. I should but try that. I just because I worry as far as like you have AC blowing on it and then it shuts off. So then the machine, you know, obviously this is very small amounts of right. temperature change, but the fact it that is. the thing that's cold is blowing on it and yep. then it's not exactly. Yeah. And the lathe is also butted up right against the garage door. We did just insulate the garage door. Um, yep. So it's 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 barely warm to the touch now. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't yeah, think we'll you'll see. Have a problem, honestly. I don't think okay. I will either. Yeah. I'm not super worried about it. Oh, but we will find out. Hopefully, I think bushings, bushings will be after pivots. So we'll find out in a couple of weeks, probably. Nice. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome. Do you have any regrets with the uh, so far with the lathe you've gone with any of that stuff? Currently, no. Um, I do regret not hounding my sales rep harder for spindle liners and some specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, though, the company seems great. The apps guy is great. The sales guy is a he's super nice, and you know, he, he, even he's like, "No, you need to you need to hound me more." I'm like, "Okay, uh, interesting." <laughs> yeah, so we'll okay, see. Then. But yeah. um, yeah, so far I'm, I'm I'm really impressed with it. Like I've, all I've done are a couple tool cha- like turret position changes on it, so I can like mount up some blocks. Um, 
the Eppinger live tooling block seem really nice. Yeah, it always but blows I my mind. Anything yet. It always blows my mind. Rapid speed moving that heavy turret. Yeah, I think like, the rapids on this thing are like eighteen hundred inch a minute. It's like almost scary. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah. definitely like, scary. <laughs> I haven't gotten to see it run anything yet, and I haven't been able to witness the rapids on it yet. Hell, I don't even know how to home the machine yet, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I've. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting for training tomorrow. I want to make sure that I, I have my bearings on it before I do too much. Yeah. On it. Yeah, Would you be willing cool. to willing to say the the total cost and do it right now? Oh, totally. Yeah. So I mean, just like so, lathe, bar feeder, the royal call it chuck that was put on it, that was part of the package. Everything said and done was one hundred and sixty five thousand, pretty much flat. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and it was uh, I was financed for one hundred and fifty, so I had to put like fifteen down on it. Okay. Honestly, I thought oh, cool. it was going to be more. So this yeah. would normally be about a two hundred thousand dollar machine. And it's not because it was a so it was a showroom model. So it has like four and a half hours of cut time on it. Damn nice. Yep. Yep. And I I think I did pretty well on the negotiating. Can't really say for certain. Technically, it would have cost a little bit more than an L12. Yeah. Which I was surprised by. You're not supposed to know how well you did on the negotiating. No. (laughs) Yeah. You you don't know until you talk to someone else who also bought the same machine and then they go, (laughs) they screwed you. Yeah. Yep. yeah, which has happened to me. So, yeah, <laughs> which is well, fine. Like, you know, it's totally fine. You got it. And if it makes money, then water. Under That's the all thing. that matters. It's, yeah. The payments funny enough are going to be the same as the brother, like twenty four hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And the payments are deferred for the first five months. Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. So first payments in like December or something. What is this huge bill I just got? I forgot what this was. Right. Well, so. Fortunately, it's not like they won't ask me for the first five payments on that month. It'll just like the payments start in December. How oh, they just yeah. stack them together and yeah, the the interest the interest does accrue over these five months, so they'll they'll add that interest to the overall total amount. So it ends up being like an extra hundred bucks a month per payment, but that also gives me five months of essentially free runway to get it going. Right, which is really nice. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's where we're at so far. By next podcast, I actually won't have more updates because it's on Monday and IMCA comes on Monday. So eh, we'll see. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's my lathe journey. Everything else is going pretty well. We're back in storm season, so I've already lost power twice. Oh, God. Oh, no. Yep. And every single time that we lose a night run due to power loss, that's actually two days that's lost. Because you expect, you expect that stuff done when you come in to work on it, I guess. Yeah, so if it's, you know, if we lose power on the night run, then we have to get the night run going again the next day, which then wastes that day. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I expect this will probably happen a lot this summer. Mm. Yeah. I might have to restructure a little bit and try to figure out how to negate night runs. Uh, Which just feels bad. It is. It's very tricky. There's only so many hours in a day, and half of them are now potentially void to me. Yeah. So what yeah. is what is actually happening? The power is just shutting off. Something it's just flickering. Well out of it's, your like, it's it's not even full. Like most times, it's not even like a full power outage. It's just there's a flicker in the power and the machines alarm out. So there's a when because the mill still does the thing where if the line voltage is too low, it shuts off sometimes. On the, like, yeah, the, the brother's a lot better with it. It's oh, your they, mill. Sorry. Yeah. So. They make, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's essentially like a line conditioner. 
and the line conditioner has capacitors and I have like a voltage regulator in it. And it's supposed to like condition the line dropouts in case of like, you know, spikes. So I have something like similar. Charges. So I have a um I have a surge protector that, mm-hmm. that I think it functions similarly. It's on its own breaker, which was really weird to me, but I was told it would work great. But it's it's a bank of capacitors that those capacitors will pop um if there's a power surge and then absorb that surge. Right. But you what you want to do is keep the line voltage in a good steady it's steady. Condition. Yeah. So I might need to look modern, at that. Those modern controls are kind of very picky. They are. And I mean that might work, but the issue is like you gotta talk to a an actual commercial electrician who knows yep. what he's talking about. Cause all the ones I yes. talked to are like, I don't really know what that is. Interesting. So I do have one that I and use not, that Yeah. And they've like they were the ones that did the 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 surge protector for me. That, so I'll have to ask them again about like maybe a, a line conditioner, like you said. Funny enough, yeah. the brother is good. So I found this out. Um I went into the shop Friday night at midnight because I got a, a power outage alert. So I got there, got the machines running again. And then within 15 minutes of me leaving, there was a flicker. So the Mighty Viper shut off and the brother kept going. Hmm. Is the uh, brother on an internal transformer or it's like its own transformer? Oh, um, no, th- I, I'm not entirely sure. Looking inside there, I, I don't think so. I think it's they're okay. just taking the, the they're, they're just taking line voltage. Gotcha. Like 200 to 220, roughly that range. How long yeah. is the flicker? Is it like a repeated flicker or just a, like a split second? It only ever happens at night, annoyingly. I think we've lost power once during the day, which is like, I wish it would happen during the day versus at night. But um, you've, you've seen it happen, though. It's not like... I have. So I've seen... Well, it's weird. So like, we've had flickers that will surge power briefly, like like for like half a second, and we notice it. But then there's also like like really, really small flickers. And the Mighty Viper is really, really prone to it. Um. It like it's so minor that we never notice it. The machine, like even the mighty, won't stop running. It'll keep running, but it's enough to to mess around with the encoder position. And so the mighty will actually lose its position. God, what, is, what, what do the machines say when this happened? Like, what's the alarm? Um. So the mighty just shuts off. They they just shut off. They just do a hard shut off. There's no alarm. I wonder if they're like overvolting for some reason. Uh, so their their range is like 200 to 220, and we're, and our shop is 208. So yeah. It would take a lot to to overvolt it. So, like, this is this is related, but not. It's not the same thing. The, mm-hmm. the lathe. It's an older Fanuc machine. It's O4. So this yeah. stuff's probably been figured out. But I had an issue where, like, I have it running on on 240 volts, but in reality, the line voltage can be basically down to like sometimes 218. Yep. So that that range is supposed to be like. It can work from like 210 to 230 or 240 or whatever. Yeah, it's like a 10% or something like that. Yeah, but what would happen is on a spindle break, like when the spindle uh-huh. would slow down, it would cause the line voltage to go really high. Uh-huh. And it would do this thing where it would draw. It it would just spin, like the spindle would stop and it, everything would act normal. But it would draw like 50 amps at idle just sitting there. Oh, for some reason, it wouldn't tell the like resistive break or whatever, however it works, to shut off. And oh. the only way that I got that fixed was I put like buck boost transformers in, interesting, and, and boosted the line voltage specifically on the lathe's line, up, okay, like up the voltage or maybe I down the voltage, whatever one. And it yeah. was just it was enough to during spindle breaking it stopped doing that. So I wonder if like 
you're getting just these little like spikes that are enough to cause the things to trip out and shut off. So if you could it's figure awesome. out which, which direction it was, you could put like buck boost transformers on the okay. individual machines that need them. But yep. you know, I obviously don't know if that's the issue, but that yeah, is one. I have to like stay the night. I'll have to like wait for a stormy night and just stay the night there and see what the hell happens. Cause it always well, happens when we're gone. Well, it's interesting. Cause like in the summer, like line voltage will go down because everyone's using air conditioners, which the higher the uh -huh. load on the, you know, the system, the grid, yep. basically that line voltage goes down. So I wonder if it's like, but it's weird cause it's at night, which means ACs should be like running yeah, less because it's, it's cooler, but you know, it's directly related to either wind or lightning. We have a lot of lightning storms out here without rain because of all the dust. Yeah. And so it could be an over voltage because like maybe lightning is striking somewhere and just surging through the line. Yeah. I wonder if you could do something and like ask your power company and be like, hey, I have this. Oh, tried. oh OK. You've already talked. To them. Oh, I have. Yeah, it was bad last year, too. And I called them many times being like, is there anything you guys can do for me? They're like, no. Yeah, because what they'll say is, well, we're we're within that plus or minus 10 percent. And yep. that's all we have to do. So go away. Yep. No, their their answer more or less to me was, well, you know, all the infrastructure is like 60 years old and it's just cheaper for us to like pay like uh, pay like insurance claims to people who had things go wrong than it is to fix it. Yeah. I'm just mm -hmm. like, oh, OK. Great. That's what I'm dealing with. All right. So yeah, power woes. We'll see how it goes this year. I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed and trying to stay positive, but it is a it is really a kick to the balls when I wake up to a call from our machinist going, "Hey, the power tripped last night." I'm like, "But I was there last night." Yeah, the most frustrating thing is like, like I don't really understand it. So it's like you're kind uh -huh. of powerless to do anything about it except yeah, just try to negate it. Yep. So yeah, that's that's where we're at there. But yeah, late stuff, good overall. Shop is running well, so we're happy about that. Well, good. Yeah. Nice. Who's next up? Grant, what about you? Oh, uh, it's been a busy few weeks. Um, me, and, me and Grant did something together. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yes. Um, we, we suffered together. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like you guys were suffering towards the end of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so to summarize relatively quickly, and then, um, you know, we can kind of go into the pieces as we go, but David and I went to uh, Open Sauce, which was in San Francisco, California. Um, and if I, I'm not going to go too far into what Open Sauce is, but basically it's a maker convention set up by a bunch of YouTubers. And it was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the way there, uh, well, I drove <laughs> with my buddy Tom and Jared. We picked up David in New Mexico. We went to Dalen's shop. <laughs> <laughs> on his shop without him and, yep. <laughs> and then went to San Francisco. Um, and well, I met Jacob. Uh, that's a notable. Yep. Uh, met yeah, Jacob. Yep. Very nice. Um, saw Thalen's house. Also. Yes. Nice. <laughs> also, was he did not answer at that time. <laughs> uh, he was there. He just wasn't <laughs> conscious. <laughs> oh, well, here's the kicker. So <laughs> I was conscious enough to hear the door knocking for like five minutes straight. <laughs> And I was unconscious enough to think that it was just a solicitor, so I didn't answer it. <laughs> it it kind of was, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm bummed about that. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll do we'll figure it out next time. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, 
Yeah, and then we went to San Francisco, had a great time. Uh, convention, tons of notable mentions, but I don't know. I don't want to go too crazy into it because there's just so much stuff. Um, I bet. But well, just and like, we also, well, you know, just we'll just let uh, Dalen and John, you know, if they have questions, we'll let them. You know, if there's YouTubers they like, or or uh, I don't know if you guys saw. I put out a little video. I did. Just of a kind of montage of of the convention. Yep. Um, I mean, I think one thing that's notable. I don't know how much you want to talk about it, Grant, but all the like BattleBot stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I didn't really know there was like different weight classes, and so the idea of like and like local leagues or whatever, and so the idea mm-hmm. of uh making your own BattleBot or like getting a kit to make it or even like making and selling parts for it. Um, it seems like a, it's a, it's a lot bigger scene than I thought it was. Um, I don't know what's in New Mexico. I haven't looked up yet, but it, there definitely were like tournaments in Texas, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll go to that. Cause that is something that um, I, I guess I'm pursuing. So that's relevant. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Everything. Um, so yeah, long story short in college, uh, my buddy who, and it ended up working for NASA, but while we were in college together, we were gonna do BattleBots, like the the actual name brand TV show BattleBots. Oh, yeah. Um, and we got down to like we modeled we we like thoroughly designed a BattleBot, but basically we, what ended up happening is one we were two broke college kids, <laughs> um, and my dad was like, hey. I'll sponsor, you know, if it's a couple hundred bucks, like whatever you need material, you know, we'll work that. And then we figured out, it's like these bots weigh like 250 pounds and the motors are like thousands of dollars. And so, and, and at the show, we come to find out like to be competitive in the, in the actual battle bot scene is like a hundred thousand dollars to like build your bot, let alone build like two bots because one's going to break, you know, Yeah. Uh, the whole thing so basically we gave that dream up because we're like there's no way we're gonna as as a part-time college kid have enough time and money to pursue this once we just right. figured out what it was um but there's something i wanted to do and gave it up and whatever so we're at this convention and they had uh the nhrl which i think is the national havoc robot league or something like that and which is basically a knockoff not knockoff a, a, a like a a side venture of battle bots okay. which is it's just much more approachable they have weight classes from one pound to like 15 and 30 pounds and everywhere in between so um obviously a one pound robot is like you're using tiny little five dollar ebay motors and stuff like yeah. that and mostly plastic like it's very easy to to model and get into that world um and we, I got to talking with a guy that was just like, we were talking over the like the yellow tape that they were doing all their BattleBots things, and mm-hmm. and I just happened to be watching them, and he was like, "What's up?" Uh, and shout out Repeat Robotics is uh, his company name, and he sells these kits, uh, which is basically he makes all the parts and then ships them to you, and you put together your own little BattleBot for a beetle weight class, which is three pounds, mm-hmm. um, and it's like five hundred bucks for a kit. And it's like pretty sick. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, at, at the very least 500 bucks, I can get into it and, you know, see where it leads. Right. And I, 
basically I was offering like, Hey, I own a machine shop. If you ever need parts, like I'm not usually a job shop, but I like battle bots and I'd like to get into the scene. So, you know, we, we can hook up and he's from Houston. So this is also like just kind of a Texas pal that I would, I'd like to work with. Um, and he was like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you a kit for machine work. And I was like, sure. Uh, but then I was like, wait, I need two because Jared and I need one to battle each other. <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, I can't do two. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, anyway, talk to him. But, and he's got this website and sells motors and stuff. And so and he's got all these resources that like just tell you how to get into the scene and like all this institutional knowledge that everyone has. He's kind of compiled into a little handbook. Um, and so, yeah, Jared and I are kind of pursuing that. We're going to make our own little battle bots for the Beetleweight and compete uh, in Texas. So that's going to be really cool. Oh, yeah. That's super right. cool. Um, yeah. So that's good. That's what, like, takeaway from that for the battle bots is uh, way more approachable with the NHRL league stuff uh, okay. than it, especially it used to be with just like the big battle bots. But they also right. did have big battle bots there, not fighting. But a couple of the BattleBot teams were like showing off their bots, and those oh. things are wild. Uh, oh, I like, Absolutely insane. Uh, they're way bigger than you think they are. Just like they're the sizes of coffee tables, not side tables. Just for reference, right? Yeah, right. They, they could easily kill you if you fell in the ring. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, well, I mean, even yeah. even the like smaller weight classes could kill you. Yeah, and it was funny because in in the car we were doing all this like asking each other questions, the pastime or whatever, and. Uh, my buddy Tom asked us, what would you rather fight, a full-size bull or a battle bot? Uh, and I think we all picked the bull. And as soon as we got to the convention and started looking at the battle bots, we were all like, yeah, I'll take the bull any day. Because, <laughs> yeah, funny. they're terrifying. God. Um, yeah, that was cool. And David, if, if you want to go into more stuff that you took away, well, we yeah, can... Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know what my expectations were, but I I think uh I think it was maybe better than I expected. Uh not that I had low expectations. Um I think uh I I think it was just cool how many people there were cuz I guess the convention was it wasn't like people trying to sell stuff. It was just kind of an open invitation to people who make cool stuff. So right. some were YouTubers, some were just people who you know just had interesting hobbies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um some were like makerspace people, just all sorts of stuff. I, I think my favorites were uh, the FPV guy. I uh, if you remember mm-hmm. his name, Grant. Um, he uh, he makes lots of stuff where it's like RC cars with little guys on them, and he'll put tiny cameras in the guys' heads, and you can put on VR goggles. And I drove That's an cool. ATV like in first person, nice. you know, like a tiny miniature ATV, uh, and like the head turns when you turn the vehicle that's cool uh, su- super awesome i've always wanted to see more stuff like that um and then uh i should grant i really like this youtube guy uh henry segerman i think is how you pronounce his name who uh makes lots of videos about like fractals and topology and mathematical mm-hmm. structures and uh just like kind of messing with his weird 3d prints of uh like interlocking gears and like a triple scissor lift thing he invented. Uh, you know, it's, it wasn't like the craziest, most exciting thing compared to like the battle bots, but, but I, uh, I really like that kind of stuff. Um, 
yeah, there were so many different things. And then, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the location was super cool cause it was on a pier and, uh, we got to go on a battleship and, uh, that's where the food was. Nice. Um, you know, and you could go all over the battleship. Uh, I think Grant toured the engine room, but I, I think we were separated and I didn't see the engine room, but I got, mm. you know, pretty high up on the battleship. Um, it was, uh, it was the O'Brien, which apparently was at Normandy on D-Day, and we happened to meet someone who wasn't there on D-Day, but he did serve on the ship when it went to the 50th anniversary of D-Day or something. Um, really interesting guy. Uh, yeah, lots of crazy cool experiences and uh, maybe a bit of an awful car ride to get there though but it was still fun still good right yeah. so that was crammed in like what that was less than 40 hours of that experience before driving back uh, yeah we yeah. had more time driving than we did there yep. for sure yep. Um, yep. yeah 32 hours in a toyota camry now and that's one way right yeah that 32 hours each way yeah i suggested you know maybe uh you stop at some point so you can sleep. Uh, ah. But that's not how they rolled. Uh, so the trip back got pretty delirious and weird. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I, mean, like, I saw a message in Discord at like, what was it, like midnight or one saying, like, yeah, we'll be there at like 1 30. I'm like, great, cool. And then I messaged David, like, just to make sure that's like 1 30 in the morning, right? <laughs> he responds, I think we're dead. We're not going to make it. I'm like, yeah. I, yeah. that, that all checks out. Yeah, at some point we were like, if we stop, that's another you know two or three hours. Uh -huh. <laughs> are just on this <laughs> eternal road trip. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, and we were just not in a good place to like have conversations oh, yeah. with. No, you people. <laughs> checked out. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep, I um, totally get it. Yeah, road trip was the coming back was really hard. Going there wasn't so bad. Um, we even but, got like a flat tire and it was still a good time going. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, no, did you we, we got uh, a flat tire suspiciously close to a tire shop. Yeah. That's awesome. Like literally like a hundred feet away and it's like, hmm. Throwing, throwing <laughs> nails out. Attracting yeah. Them. Literally it, really it was a nail in our tire. Yeah. Wow. Uh, luckily Tom had the foresight. Uh, he went to like an auto, uh, some local mechanic that he has a relationship with. Uh, and basically, the mechanic was, looked at his tires and was like, these tires aren't going to make it. I'll give you a, basically a full spare wheel and tire for 60 bucks. And wow. if you don't use it, I'll buy it back off you. <laughs> and yeah, we used it because we got awesome. flat and yeah. just replaced it with a, a full-size tire, which is really That's nice. Funny. Um, so before, yeah. before we get off that subject, just uh, people we met... Um, we didn't really watch much of the panels, but we did kind of meet some people here and there. I got an autograph from Cody's Lab and William Osman. Nice. Um, and Jack's Films. <laughs> and uh, Grant separated at some point from me, and, and you guys saw a lot more YouTubers, I think, than I did. Yeah, we saw... Uh, well, we we had like a pretty lengthy conversation with uh, Colin Furs, which was oh, nice. super, super cool. He's a super down to earth guy, which is good, nice to see. You know, uh, right? It uh, seems that way from his content too. Yeah, um, and Jared. So Jared is my buddy. He's a fabricator 
mainly welding, but he does everything, just kind of like we all do a little bit. Um, he's like Colin Furs is his role model. Like he got into making because of Colin Furs, and he's always looked up to him and stuff. So his like one pursuit was to meet Colin, and he sat there and had like a whole conversation and showed him all his cool stuff that he's made, and they talked about it. It was really that's fun. cool. No, he seems um, super jazzed about it. Yeah, and then. Uh, I didn't talk to the hacksmith because they just looked tired and busy, but we like brushed <laughs> shoulders basically. Um, okay. Which is fun. Uh, yeah. You guys saw Michael Reeves, right? Oh yeah. Well, I didn't, but uh, Jared and Tom did. And apparently he's very short. Um, sorry, Michael, if you ever hear this in your life, but short king. I think he knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's aware. Um, and then Ren from Corridor Digital, which I wish yeah. I could have talked to. Yeah, and Tom Tom went and broke some rules to talk to Ren. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which yeah, there's a whole story around that, but that's that's not necessarily podcast worthy. That's um, fine. Yeah, so just kind of met a bunch of cool people and like David said, the whole convention is just in a in an era or in a vibe of just look at all this cool stuff. It's not like people trying to sell you things. Right. Um and it's definitely not like blade shows where it's like just a clash of weird communities. And there's yep. like, you know, like uh, bubbles that just like pop up where it's like the Balasong corner and then the fixed blade. Corner. Right. Nothing like that. It's just everyone's super excited about all their stuff. Both nice. the people exhibiting and the people going. It's like we were all of the same hive mind. Kind of thing. Yep. I even cool. got recognized once. Yeah. That's cool. That's somebody, that was good. Yeah. Cool. David was wearing his hat with his logo on it and somebody oh, yep. grabbed him and was like, hey, you, you know, ah. traption collection. That's what cool. does your face look like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just super cool. And yeah, if ever, anyone hears this, like if you're a maker of any kind, um, go to Open Sauce next year. It's going to be. Yeah, it's on their website. It looks like they are doing it again. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Which is cool. And also, um, one more thing. I don't know. We, we probably shouldn't talk about it too much, uh, but we saw Lucas Squid Industries shop and. Uh, that guy is the nicest man in the world and is so it was such a cool shop. Yeah. Uh I'm I'll talk about it. it was, <laughs> yeah, it was super <laughs> cool. Lucas is really nice. Uh he even learned some of his machines just to show us how they worked, which is Oh, that's awesome. So so benevolent of him. Um now he took us out to dinner too. Yeah. Nice. What do you nice what do you mean he learned learned his machines to show you guys? Yeah, so that's that's what the joke was. He has machines in his shop that he's never operated. That's yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah, he's up to like 45 employees now. So yeah, he, he literally doesn't know how to use some of his machines yeah. at this point. So I think I think the horizontal and then um, maybe the brother. I can't, I can't remember which other one. Or maybe one of the, the Akumas. I can't remember. Water jet? Uh, I think he actually ran the water jet. Oh, okay. But... I, I can't, there, there are so many machines. It's hard to keep track of which one. <laughs> Dude, seriously. Uh, I can imagine I know, a very funny scenario where he just crashes one in front of you guys. Like, oh, God. Yeah, I've never ran one of these. <laughs> yeah, all of them, he was like, all right, I, I can do a tool change without crashing it. And then there were a couple times where like he'd call up just the wrong tool, and he's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> what, <laughs> what's, like, what's his background? I don't know anything about him. Does he, like, design stuff? I know he he's he owns this this company, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he started as the machinist and everything else, um, and then he, my understanding is he put the right people in the right places and just overtook ownership. 
and gotcha. you know running it. Well, yeah. So I I always forget what his parents did, but his parents had some shop where they for some reason had one mill, I think, and uh, and you know I think he was going to college for like other stuff, but he was into butterfly knives and just like wanted to try to make a trainer and you know had access to this mill and just you know that's how the business started right yeah there's a great video on on will's channel or maybe squid's channel that for the you know the the squid industries kind of history video so Mm -hmm. a lot a lot better information there than what we know yeah but uh yeah nonetheless lucas if you ever hear this again thank you very much and uh, his shop is just so cool not only because it's like a I'd consider it a big shop in the grand scheme of things of like our levels specifically. Right. Um, but it's so thought out. Um, like I'd consider it up, up to snuff with some of the higher end aerospace shops that I've seen where every, it, it, oh, yeah. it looked very clean from the pictures you guys just it, like, it's yeah. definitely, right. yeah, he just moved in three months ago. Uh, so like that helps with, uh, you know, getting a fresh start organizing and keeping things clean. Yes. Um, and I'm sure he's, I'm sure he'll keep it that way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's better than a lot of shops I've seen in town where I live. Like, yeah, th- you know, it's, uh, it's awesome. Um, the craziest machine, uh, that I saw is, is, you know, I, have we guys, have we talked about the arrow lap? No. Is that what it's called? In specific, but it's, it's like a polishing blasting setup, right? Where, where yes. it's like you get these tiny rubber balls and then you coat them in water and then you coat them in diamond dust and then you put them in the top of this weird sandblasting cabinet that has like belts that fling the rubber balls down yeah. into your part. <laughs> it's so weird, but weird. apparently it, it gets good finishes. Yeah, it's wild. I well, it's, So it's, it's like a sandblaster, which... Anyone that's run a sandblaster, it's just, you know, air hose hooked up to it. And then it's, uh, Vernu- Vernuli? Uh, Venturi. Venturi, thank you. The Venturi vacuum to suck up the sand or whatever. That's how I thought this thing ran. Because Lucas and I have talked about it, like, for several months. Because we were talking about polishing for tsunamis and stuff like that. Um, and But, no, it's like a treadmill. It, like, the balls fall on this, like, treadmill. And it just flings them really fast, which is insane. Cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, arrow lap polishing machine. Pretty cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I think that's. I'm gonna wrap that up on the trip because I've got too many other things cool. going yep. on. Uh, when we got back for the trip on Tuesday, uh, I started a new product, and by Friday I had a prototype, and then today. Oh, yeah. I'm running production, so um, anyone on my Instagram will see the product come out soonish. But soonish, yep. Um, I'm excited for them. Yeah, I'm very excited because one, uh, well, I'll, I'll spill the beans. Podcast listeners get extra uh, aluminum <laughs> trainer. It's a. Uh, I changed everything to be standardized because, frankly, I am just. So annoyed with USA Knife Maker and Precision Plus right now. Yes. They're out of stock in my pivots and have been for like three months. And oh, hooray. No matter how much I annoy them, they still don't have them. Well, so, so you can be annoyed with me instead. Yeah. So, well, there you <laughs> go. 
but the new designs are based off of like the standard um, pivot, which I believe is the same pivot Dalen you use, and I'm not sure. Awesome. I think it's the same one Lucas uses on some of their stuff, but they do kind of different. But, but different. Are, are you going to be six sixty four or six thirty two? Uh, six six. I'm I'm planning on six sixty four, but the point three two length uh, barrel. Yeah, and the, the head is like. Head. Uh, yeah, I think my my pockets are like two eighty five or something okay, to accommodate yeah. the quarter shed. Um, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. based on that design, so that I can source the pivots from anywhere. It's awesome. on twenty thou uh, stamped three eighths washers, which hell yeah. Is, uh, are yours twenty thou, Dalen? Yep, those are twenty thou. You can also buy the stainless polished ones that we use. They're the exact same dimensions. You can get them from Alpha Knife Supply, and they always they seem they seem to always have stock. Sick. Okay. Uh, yeah. So basically. Dalen's hardware. Uh, I highly doubt that it's on your mayor spec because my Zen pins are like shoved up there. <laughs> Throws the Marin. I'm gonna laugh if it fits the Marin. That's gonna be hilarious. That would be really funny. I well, so I I I I'd be surprised because my the Zen nipple is like the flattest Zen nipple that I could possibly design. Yeah. Um, and it like it's. It's sleek. Like you, there's no way anyone could ever pinch themselves on it because it's just so gone. Yep. yep. Um, which is fun because that's the Medusa's a similar way, but ju- this is just that to an extreme. Yeah. Um, and then fun blade shape, uh, seventy seventy five aluminum handles with three D surfacing. Uh, it's actually three D uh, contoured and surface, so it's not just like rounded edges. It's actually like right. uh, ergonomically gripped. Similar to like a fixed blade handle would be with a palm slow. Yeah, the the pattern um, you show, put on Discord is pretty cool. Yeah, and the, the pattern I came up with uh, it's just a parallel tool path, but it ended up creating diamonds in some portions where I overlap the pattern, and it yep. turned out beautiful. So uh, nice. I'm overall just really ecstatic about it because, especially considering I I made this model like several months ago or maybe a month ago. I can't oh, quite okay. remember anymore. Um, I design things like all the time and then they just ended yep. up sitting and th- I think I made this model and then I wasn't super happy with it. So I deleted like two faces and then suddenly it worked. So, like it was beautiful. And so yeah, I kept it. Awesome. Yep. Um, and then it's just turned into a process so quick. Uh, and now I'm running production on a whole new design and platform and everything. So yeah. pretty ecstatic about that. Uh, and hopefully Great keeps us in business because that's that's the way they, the way the market is going is for the low end and this is our first venture down there so yeah, yeah. It's exciting. i'm looking forward to it that's for sure yeah um what else what else what else oh we're out of pivots uh we've <laughs> i guess <that's laughs> other big news we're I mean, if totally you, out of pivots if you need i can prioritize some for you soon uh give well by next week if i don't have an answer um, yep. we'll figure that out. Yeah, no stress, dude. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, yeah. And it's annoying because <laughs> we find like, we've pumped everything up in the shop. So we were doing 15 knives a week and now we're able to do 30 titanium knives purely on the Haas. Yep. And I'm also doing these aluminum knives, which we should be able to do minimum of 50 a week. And, um, which is great for production. And the bottleneck is now our assembly tech. Right, uh, and I've been kind of getting on to him of like he's got to do better, and and he he was he was getting really good, 
much faster. And we started implementing some um, deburring things. Like we we're now deburring all of our pivot holes on the mill uh, with a lollipop. Nice. Where yep. previously I was kind of like, well, hard milling they don't really get a burr most of the time because we replace the end mills every night. So it's like it's just fresh end mill cutting it. Yep. Um, and then it would always tumble out, so it's not a huge deal. But soft milling or the quote unquote soft milling our uh, four ten, which is you know thirty Rockwell or forty Rockwell, whatever it ends up being. Yep. Uh, it starts getting a little bit of a burr. So we knock that off on the mill and suddenly all of our trainers are like super easy to assemble now. So he's been cranking through them, which is great. But then we ran out of hardware. And so now, uh-huh. now we're just overflowing in inventory and parts and the, not able yep. to sell anything. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. The, the, the increased need for hardware is the exact reason why I got the lathe for ourselves. So yeah, I, I'm. I feel it. Um, and no. I, like, I, I knew this was coming, and that's why. Like a long time ago, I talked to a USA knife maker of like, "Hey, I buy this much hardware every month. I like just keep it in stock. Whatever you you're ordering from Prison Plus, just make sure there's enough." Yeah. And I, and they were like, "Oh yeah, that's cool. We'll we'll double our order because if we know you're buying it all the time, that's great." And the reason I went through them instead of just like backdooring Precision Plus is. One, I wanted there to be a buffer of inventory between me and them so that I didn't have to order like 10,000 pivots at a time. Right. um, So that I can keep somewhat lean, even if I'm paying a little bit of a premium. But it it ended up just not working anyway. And now I'm sitting Uh here out. And like, (laughs) if I just ordered through Precision Plus, it'd be three weeks turnaround. But because I'm waiting for USA Knife Maker to order through Precision Plus, it's just like this huge delay. I went through that exact process, tried calling them to increase quantities, was kind of spotty, went to Travis for Precision Plus for a little while, lead times got longer. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, what's a whole bummer about all of this, because like Lucas has offered to make me pivots and he, he has made me custom pivots, which will end up being on this new aluminum project. Yeah. Um, but I'm so locked into like this specific pivot because it's it's become kind of iconic with the Medusa. Yep. And it's, like, it's a heat treat finish on 410, so it's like dark, which is nice. And it's got this cool pattern in it. And it's a really, really beautiful pivot. Um, and I've been avoiding like asking Lucas to make them because uh, as far as we've talked about, his would end up shiny, basically. Yeah. And it would just it would just change it. You know, uh, it would just change the way it looks. And, uh, you know, but now I'm sitting here with without inventory. So I think I'm going to have to do something, which... You know, Dale, you have a lace. So. Yep. Hit me up. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, but other than that, trainers have been selling well, which is good. Uh, all nice. of our live blades basically have stopped. Um, so we're just, we're not making live blades right now because we have so much in inventory. Right. Uh, but the titanium trainers are going good, and hopefully these aluminum ones will be good. Yep. I am wondering if the market is also just shifting more towards trainers. I wonder if we're having a trainer renaissance. I, I talked to my dad about this, and I meant to talk to Lucas about this, but we, we had so much going on. Um, right. I think the trainer market possibly is bigger than the live blade market. I think it Did is. Too- have, of course, because it's legal more places. Well, it's and, even and, it's can, and even when it's legal, uh, even when it's uh, they're both legal, you know, kids can convince their parents more easily. 
supposed and to... there's people like me who want to do tricks and just don't even care enough to risk right. cutting themselves to ever want to use a knife. So, so the reason this is like a, a new revolution to me, revelation to me, is the I, I came from the old school perspective, which is the, the Benchmade 4X series. Like that's whenever I was into battle songs like a long time ago, that's what I was looking at. Um, and everyone on Jersey Devil and everyone on the forums and everything like that, uh, trainers were like shunned. They were completely yeah, frowned upon. Yeah, shunned. Um, and the, like the only guys that were into battle song were the cool biker guys. They were, you know, these these outcasts and stuff like that. Which is, you know, not to say anything wrong with that, but it's like it was a different kind of uh, persona that was like the general battle song buyer. And so for my entire business, that is kind of my envision of like my customer is still the Jersey Devil forum viewer. Um, but obviously times have changed and Lucas is probably a, a huge factor of like making trainers uh way more uh socially available acceptable, like, and available acceptable. available and acceptable. Like both both those things that one, it's not like um a taboo to flip a trainer anymore. Where it, even two years ago it was probably a taboo to, to flip a trainer. Um no, so. the, the, the perceptions definitely shifted and, and I think uh I think you guys or Lucas making better trainers is part of that because uh you know it was it, it was hard to get any good quality trainer and even the ones like Boker or whoever made that I have uh you know it's like okay quality but it's it's definitely not really designed by someone who who likes flipping or anything. It's a trainer as if like another type of training knife for self-defense or something, you know? Yeah. yeah it, it's like, explode. it's kind of like a, a pointless object in a way where, you know, now it's, it's like, you know, a whole, you know, like you talk about other skill toys, like yo-yoing or flipping pens or whatever, you know, it it's a, it's a different movement than it was, you know, 15 years ago or something. Yeah. So all that being said, uh, yeah, I think the trainer market's huge right now. Um, yes. At the very least, what's selling is right now trainers and the low price items. So that's what I'm. Yep. Also, yes, trainers are indeed pointless objects. <laughs> well, I, I, oh, I get it. Now those are not pointless. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that's most of my stuff. I'm not saying we could think nice. of anything else. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. So, I I don't have much to say. So, can I go real quick? Yeah, sure, dude. Just uh, I think like before the trip to San Francisco, I was feeling kind of down. I was uh, I made a really cool blade fixture and and uh, things were going good, but then I kind of you know started having issues getting a good surface finish and. Uh, feeling a little discouraged and felt like I've, you know, been working on the same project for so long. And then going to, to San Francisco, it's like, you know, maybe amplified that where it's like, oh man, there's so many other options of what I could be doing. You know, am I making the right choice? But coming back for some reason, I've been really energized and I just keep coming up with different cool ideas. And, uh, and so, you know, I think, I think there's a bunch of new things I'm hoping to try and, that's uh, both products and videos. And then I think um, 
I don't know what clicked, but I'm feeling more excited again with the bow scissors where I, uh, I did figure out how to get a good surface finish with the blades. And I today like been running my longest ever runs, which is like two, two and a half hour runs in a row. Nice. Uh, for bevels, which, you know, five hours isn't a lot for you guys, I'm sure. But, you know, most of what I'm doing is tends to be smaller batches and I'm constantly fiddling with things and struggling with things. And so getting things to like a point where it's just like, oh, I'll just run a bunch of them and, you know, I expect they'll come out good. Uh, you know, literally, like that's a new thing for me today and it's great. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, so that's it. I uh, I got that new video on the convention, and then I'm hoping at the end of the week I'll post another video. Ooh, exciting. That's overdue. Wait. What you been up to, John? Um, I don't remember when we did a podcast last. I feel like it's been like three weeks. We should have done one last week, but we were out of town. Yeah. So the biggest thing was the surface grinder annoyed me. One day, this is like <laughs> I saw your story posts. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was just I spent five days on it, but the story oh doesn't talk about that at all. So wow. So when I bought it, I bought it crashed essentially, and there was yeah. a spot to chuck. And I've explained this before. Yes. That was unusable essentially because it was like divoted so bad, and you'd run the wheel over it, and it would like dip and and uh. Z, I guess the manual actually calls it Z, but I guess it's on a surface grinder, it's supposed to be Y. Anyway, it's supposed to be, yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, it would dip down, you know, in the vertical direction into whatever you were grinding. So I was like, I'm getting the blades off the like on the mill or whatever, and I'm hard milling them, and they're coming out warped, and it's because they're getting surface ground warped essentially. Yes, so coming from heat treat. They have a little bit of a bow in them, but they're pretty good. They're like two thou a bow, which is yeah. very, very surface grindable, essentially. Oh, yeah. But I would put them on the mill and I would mill them. And then like by the end of it, they would have a bow in them. And I'm like, what is going on? And, you know, just kind of tracking things down. And I was like, I wish I could put the blades vertically aligned on the surface grinder because I can't use that one spot, which is like two thirds right. of the way up. It kind of like blocked me out from doing that essentially. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, I'm going to figure this out. So I ground the chuck, which on a, on the Tormach is like a literal entire day affair. Because yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. And grinding chucks in is not like you can go fast at all. Cause any heat will cause it a potato chip, like noticeably bad. Cause they're so soft, I guess. Right. Yeah. And and whatever. So basically, I, I did this, and it had like a, <laughs> it had like two thou of, oh. of a um, a slope from like the wow. side all the way going up. And I'm like, my first thinking was like, okay, so I ground, I um, dress the wheel on the one side, and then you you know you slowly work across your the wheel. Yeah, so right. the sorry the the chuck. So the wheel's wearing out. So by the time it gets to the other side, even though it's still cutting, like you've worn it out tooth hour or whatever. So I was like, oh, that's right. got to be. So, of course, redress it. Spend basically another four hours like dressing the chuck or whatever the other direction. And mm -hmm. it was still the same exact like tooth slope. But whoa, 
and, and it didn't change the like low to high, high to low. It was the same thing. And I was like, what is Interesting. going on? And yeah, so I was like, okay, so there must be physically something wrong with the Y axis or the what axis with the Z axis, I guess, in this case. Right. So the, you know, the table moving away Even from in out. Yeah. Line. Yeah. And so I took the chuck off and like put an indicator on the actual you know, the base table or whatever and ran it across and like uh-huh. it was it was actually flatter than the chuck was and I was like, okay, I uh-huh. must be grinding the chuck in wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> then I did it again. Oh no. <laughs> I it was it was not fun because I'm like I'm doing literally everything like you everything you read about as far as yeah. like so and I did this again, and it was like a little bit better. It was like you know one one thou eight tenths or something. Oh God! With the same amount of slope, and I was like, "This is so stupid!" Like I can't believe I've wasted <laughs> my entire day on this. So then, the the next day, I'm like running an indicator across the thing or whatever, and I'm like, "Okay, this dip is still here, even though I've ground the chuck in, and you can't see it." Type thing, which is a little strange, but right. it also there was. Even with the chuck off the table, there was still like a little bit of slope. So I was like, there's still got to be some sort of mechanical issue where it's not just the way I'm grinding it in, but certainly not helping. So I ended up taking the table apart and I'm like, it's probably from when it got crashed, like the Gibbs are bad or whatever in it. And before this, this moment, I had no idea what a Gibb was. Right. So I was in for a real real learning experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, how do I adjust the gib? And people are like, you know, if if you run the table back and forth and it it wobbles or whatever, like the gib's probably loose. So I run the table back and forth and I can you can shake the table. Uh I don't know how to explain this, but basically you can easily move the table from like one corner to the other if it was like along the x-axis like a good right. probably 50 thou or something like a good oh. easily you could see it from a distance type of like yeah. oh, wow. essentially i was like oh yeah the gibbs definitely lose that's <laughs> <laughs> like nice. that probably didn't help grinding the chuck in so, okay. so so i tried to tighten this thing up and i was like okay it's a little bit better but there's still one area where it's loose and that one area is where it had been crashed like when i bought it uh-huh and I was like, mm. okay, well, that's probably not a good sign. And like, cause I didn't know what I was doing too. I didn't think the gib was adjusting far enough. So I don't remember what I did, but I basically like took it in and out a bunch of times trying to figure out if it was like at the end of its travel. This gib on this thing is like a one adjustment screw uh, style or however it's called. Basically yeah. you can only adjust one side and it wedges the whole table against the Gib, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's uh-huh. yeah. common. And and I had run out of travel, but I didn't know this because I took the screw out and I'm looking at the screw and it's got a it's bent, like the literal <laughs> screw is bent. Oh. And there's like you can see it, it's cracked where the bend is. Oh. And of course I'm like reefing on this on the flathead screwdriver trying to get it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wonder if this thing's gonna crack on me. And uh so I tried, so I I Shorten the length of the screw. <laughs> I, did, I did a lot of stuff trying to get this thing to tighten up. And so I, I spent an additional day doing this. I think we're on day three. I'm not really sure at this point. Right. And I was like, I am, this is really annoying. And 
if I was like, if I had money, I'd just buy another an actual good surface grinder because this has been such a big problem the entire time. But day three, I'm like, it's in the morning. I'm like waking up and I'm like on practical machinist, of course. And I'm like, <laughs> what can I do? And it was something unrelated, but someone was talking about shims. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just shim the gib. Perfect. So I went and got some heat treating foil, like the stainless nice. heat treating foil, yep. and I cut a length of it. And, and I shimmed the entire gib with this thing. And it ended up tightening up. And it kind of worked, sort of. But now the issue is, like, I guess surface grinders, the gib can kind of, uh, what was the term they use? Essentially get worn out in the center of the table, because that's where you use it the most. That's where the most travel is, yeah. Yeah, so that shim made that really obvious, which was annoying, because mm. what would happen is it tightened up the that crashed area, but the oh. issue is, is it tightened it? I had to tighten it up so much to get rid of the shake like in the center of travel to clear up this like crashed area that it caused the ends of the travel, which were not worn, to essentially freeze, so the motors would stall out. And you couldn't move oh, wow. it by hand. It was that... that uh, wedged up in there basically and that was only going to get worse the hotter the table got which right it, it moves quite a bit once it warms up so and this was like you know you cut you cut these shims but the gib is like a foot long so you're sitting there tr behind the machine trying to get this gib to not move as you slide it in along with the shim or whatever or not trying to get the shim not to move and it would like slip out of place or like get pinched somewhere so it's just like a lot of like little you know frustrating things essentially yeah eventually by the by the nighttime i cut the shim down shorter and i started putting it in just different areas of the gib trying to figure out if i put it up like a quarter of the way down does that like solidify that one low area where it was crashed and remain like leave the rest of it okay and right. so i you know i took the th you t take the gib out you back the like you have to put the table on one end you back the screw all the way out put the shim in test it test it in a bunch of spots okay that's not it then move it a little bit so it was a lot of like testing kind of thing eventually it kind of shored up and then was passable so then on the fifth day I finally ground the chuck in and spent all day doing that because again, grinding the chuck in is practically I don't know, like you would be kind of lucky that the wheel right. doesn't fell or something by the end of the pass. And it finally ground in and was actually flat enough for me to be okay with it. So it ends up being like eight tenths across the entire width of the chuck, which is pretty horrible for a surface grinder, but it's good enough for it's a it's such a large improvement over what it was that yeah. it's it's passable essentially and it's not a noticeable thing on the blades because like that the long area gets hard milled essentially and it the end right. where the bearings and stuff sit is such a short distance that no one's gonna notice like yeah it's that, probably like 50 millions across yeah it i mean it's like it's half an inch of you needed to be flat and parallel essentially so yeah i don't know i was happy and the nice thing is okay. And I, when you guys were on the trip or whatever, I'd send that video of it actually doing like the peel grinding thing. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Before I could never take like any sort of depth of cut without the thing like screaming at me or like shaking. Interesting. 
and because obviously the gib was not yeah it's just like, yeah there's no virginity anything yep. and uh, and i did that and like i was like this is the most amazing thing ever <laughs> it was like i was taking like on, on that one i think it was like eight eight thou depth of cut or something yep. and i would just leave it and it the the finish i would get off of it was like amazing too and i was using i was using that wheel you said you've been using oh yeah yeah because last year when you told me about it and I tried it, I was like, this thing sucks. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I was, I was surprised by it. I was like, huh, interesting. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know how you, I don't know how, I must've gotten a different wheel or something, but yeah. <laughs> so you can leave it peel grinding. It peel grinds the entire side essentially. And then you flip it over. I flip it over like three times or whatever. Still okay. like learning actual surface grinding, but right. it's so much more consistent and better that I'm just yes. like, I don't need right now volumize another machine. I'm just happy that this one does what I expected right. to do that thing, which, yeah, you know, nice. is, That's is awesome. A I'm glad it's working well for you now. Yeah, definitely by like day two and a half. I was like, <laughs> this is so stupid. I cannot believe just I'm ready to huck the whole thing. Yeah, I was like, if it, if I live near an ocean, it would be <laughs> at the bottom of it. Oh, anchor. <laughs> yeah. So, Can I ask you something? Yep. Did you try using Crisco to grind in the chuck? Yes. Yep. Every single time. And <laughs> I even dressed the wheel for, for every pass and let it spark. Oh, wow. It took Holy so crap. Long. Yeah. It's crazy. But, yeah. It it's funny time. you it's funny you bring up that story because I spent half a day today working on my Tormont grinder as well. Wait, hold on oh. a second. How did you dress the wheel? Um with a with a diamond yeah diamond. but you dressed it like until it sparked out no the no no the the chuck oh okay good. Chuck, yeah yeah because yeah. you and want it like, like it kind of rough when you dress it yeah no i i had like a pretty open dress on it and then like of course you're in practical machinists and you're like trying to wade through the endless debate Dude. of the uh-huh. magnet on while you're oh yeah it. yeah and, like, I settled on like, okay, it seems like the majority says the magnet should be on. I don't yeah. really like it seems it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I did that and then like one of the passes that I forgot to turn the magnet on. And I was like, <laughs> oh. But honestly, I didn't see the Yeah, magnet. I don't think it makes much of a difference. I do it with the magnet on, especially on our like on our twelve by twenty four, because it's just so much surface area, but like I, I don't think it matters. Yeah, I don't I think, think it would matter if 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 it was a much higher end machine. What are you trying to say? I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying I have the same machine. Yeah, I, I ain't, I ain't chasing millions. I don't, the, I don't know how much difference the magnet could make. The peel grinding thing, honestly, like I don't care how slow it is. Like, right, it, it's it faster in the long so run well. because it's, it's you don't have auto downfeed, so you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no, no, that's that's pretty much what I learned since, especially since there's no coolant or whatever, yeah. is. Take as little width as possible, but the height. I don't know if I've gone to eight thou, but I've definitely gone to like three thou. With yeah, with I've done twenty. Yeah, with that wheel that Dalen recommends, it seems to be like good for it. Essentially, what, yeah, what width do you think you're taking? The smallest step over that the knob lets it move. Yeah, that's. Got, I I don't know what it is, but it's got to be less than five thou. I, I mean, yeah, it, I tried. It, I tried. Yeah, really, it's less than five. It's got Probably, a, it's yeah. like 45 minutes to go across yeah. the table. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. You should, uh, you can just put like an indicator, like a, a dial indicator mm-hmm. 
and then just when it auto shifts over, just see how much it moves. And I thought, I I thought it was like still tens of thousands, which annoyed me. But maybe maybe yeah, I'm no, just yeah. I'm literally just guessing. So I mean, it definitely it's, it's small enough to where I can't visually see the table move. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I must be I must be small. thinking of of uh just I I think I was like going for like twenty five or fifty thousands at some point and maybe that's what i'm thinking of maybe uh maybe that's not the smallest setting no i mean i literally just cranked that knob all the way to the left like yeah. To where yeah <laughs> yep yeah if you're not taking that much uh height if you're not taking 20 thou you could probably crank it a little bit over but yeah I don't know. i've noticed in my experience that we cannot the the problem is though is is that the Tormox so, takes so much time to switch directions, yeah. you know, and so that's why like yes, definitely the smaller width the better, but every time it has to stop and switch directions, you're adding like you know three seconds or something. Yeah, yeah just, I didn't keep, forget it. Got to keep the table full. Essentially, it's the only way to yeah to make it somewhat work- workable. Yeah, I mean, the Tormox is our rough grinder. Funny enough. Yeah, we just we use it to to hog in our stock before heat treat, and then do final with the last five thou on our on our uh, whatever. Like the hell how it much? Is. How much do you need to remove, uh, John? I leave a very generous amount of material from like soft milling through the heat treating process because I don't trust mm-hmm. the process to make them not potato chip so bad. So I leave enough to like be able to surface grind it out. But I think like ten or twelve thou. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're uh, um, you're not doing any surface grinding soft. Uh, no. Nope. Okay. Okay. That that makes more sense then. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I was speaking of our favorite topic, hard milling. I the <laughs> Lockmore inserts are 440C in their their hard. I think they're f- probably 57 Rockwell. They're supposed to be okay. based on the numbers that I've chosen, but you know how that yep. goes. Mm-hmm. And I got like I finally have the right toolpath like flat settings and it created an actual mirror with no discernible like milling marks, no lines on it. And I was like, That's awesome. this is so strange, but yeah, so that was pretty cool. I could probably never do it again. Cause it was just like the <laughs> line or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then coding was just perfect. Yeah. And the Haas has got like, it's, it's not a new machine. So it's starting to show some like things that I might Uh-oh. be concerned about. Oh no. <laughs> like, like it's got, sort of tool uh fretting that is more than just like the little guy on the spindle pins from the cups on the side mount tool changer it's not that because those marks have been there forever yeah it's i think so the tool arm used to get stuck pulling it not stuck but it would bang really hard right really bad to where i could watch that's just a spindle pop yep yep so that ended up being my coolant not being RO water caused it to stick, which is interesting. interesting. Okay. So I was using tap water and just mixing it like at concentration. And we have like pretty decent water as far as like countries water go like comparably, but RO water caused it never to stick anymore. Like no sticks, but I think all that arm bending and essentially, you know, hard use on it has caused the arm to be, not as aligned and i think the alignment is not to the spindle i think it's actually to the tool changer arm pocket that comes down Mm -hmm. so i don't 
like mechanically, I don't think there's a, what do you want to say? Like a, a wear thing that's going to destroy tools or the spindle. Right. I think the marks are coming just from this misalignment. So when they get, when they're free to move, they slide against the side of the pocket essentially. Cause they're not dead centered. Okay. My issue with the whole thing is Haas has become less right to repair friendly. Like uh-huh. there's no denying it to where uh-huh. you can't do some of the side mount tool change repairs without a service key and do some of the alignments. Uh-huh. So I'm like kind of wondering if it's, it's not a problem like yet to basically like tools are falling or anything. It's still totally fine, but it's leaving these marks that concern okay. me. Is it like vertical scratches on the taper. Yeah. And are, they, are, they, are they like brown or red from heat or is it just like an actual just scratch? It's just, um, they're like, I mean, I'll post a picture at some point, but they're not, yeah. they're nothing like, it's just a visual vertical line that are equally spaced. So, and I, I feel like it's there. I want to say it's like the edge of the tool pocket that's causing it. Okay. Is it all the way around? Yeah. So yeah. what's the brand of tool? Holder? There it's a mix. I have like Mari tool and some of the Haas ones. And, and it's happening on the Mari tools too. Yeah, it's it's universal. Like even okay. the the Renishaw Tool Pro yeah. body is doing it. So it's something that's affecting all the holders. Okay. The spindle I... doesn't visually have any of these marks. The spindle okay. looks totally fine, and there's no yep. bell mouthing or anything. Like even sharp. Yeah. Because yep. so, I uh, yeah. yeah. Go for it. Uh, you were gonna say no. I'm pretty much yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I so I bought a bunch of Technics holders for the Meltronics Cat Forty. Mm-hmm. I noticed after like a few months, I started getting, I started getting those lines, like spaced all the way around the taper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, oh, okay, I'm probably, you know, it must be fretting or something. It's an old machine spindle taper might be not the best. Yep. Then I realized that all the, all the Meritool stuff I was purchasing didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, what it ended up being is, um, they were actually ground, like, like, like fast, like it was facets in the taper of, of the tool holder. Whoa. Oh, so you were seeing like the run out of the grinder that ground it or whatever. Yeah, but it was, but it was like, it was almost like it was like just triangulated really badly. <laughs> wow. It was like, that's, it was like a the, circle that was cut into triangles. They didn't that's turn smoothing on. That's what this kind of yeah. looks like, where it's a very equally spaced pattern and it's not worn or anything. Like you can't, there's yeah, no, you can't feel it on mine. It. It's just the I'll visual. Take a picture as well. I'll take a picture tomorrow and send it, it to you. I'm sure they're very different causes. But I'd yeah. be curious to see if it's a similar look. Well, maybe it's something to do with like it, they seem to appear after I had fixed the the sticking issue, like okay. after the cooling got changed. So I wonder if it's something to do with like the coolant being squeezed in the like spindle taper, and just mm-hmm. you know the very millionth of wear or whatever is causing right. it to make these lines. Do you think? Uh, do you think your pull studs are over tightened? So that was the. The other thing that I thought it could be was like pull stud wear from being banged the entire time. They probably all right. should be replaced, but they're all torqued to 50 foot pounds. Yes, yeah, I mean, we do ours to like 70. Load, I guess. Yeah, we yeah. do ours at 70, which is like the recommended, I believe, for Cat 40. Could be wrong. Yeah, I, I've only I've seen 50 is on the okay. There's a range. I think 70 is still in the range, but okay. Yeah, yeah. We don't use Loctite on our pull studs, so I go for yeah. them slightly higher end without you know bell mouthing the top of it 
Yeah. Um, and I like, I, you know, I grease the studs lightly and everything. And like the, they're, everything's clean. Like I, I don't think I've ever caught, I mean, I definitely have without knowing, but like there's no marks in the spindle or like getting yep. chips. I don't make chips big enough to get stuck in the, the tool changer right. and all that. But, and then the last mechanical concern, anything that one's like, okay, I can kind of live with it until it starts throwing tools. Right. <laughs> but the, this last one is an interesting one. The Y axis makes a noise when it moves from the front to the back of the machine. Okay. And it'll really make a noise. This is like, you can hear the motor essentially like running the Y axis. And yep. if you, if the machine came like this and made this noise, it's a noise that it'd be like, sounds totally normal. Like it sounds, right. you know, mechanically normal, but it's never made this noise. And it started doing it like over a, yep. like a little bit over a month ago. Is it's, it? When you're in, okay. when you're um, like high feed, like max uh-huh. high feed on the Oz is like 833 inches per minute, I think. Mm-hmm. And you stop it and it's traveling in Y, it'll bang. Like concerningly. Mm-hmm. Which that was like thrust bearing. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably just thrust bearing, which isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, Is it, when it makes the noise, not the banging, but the actual noise when it's moving, is it just coming from the whole Y-axis? It's it's a little hard to tell. Like, I've stuck my head in there while it's, I'm doing, like, a test toolpath with nothing else running, just the machine. And it does sound like it's the Y-axis, because the X-axis doesn't seem to make is but like you can't pinpoint it from any specific point in the y-axis it just sounds like the whole y-axis is just making that noise yeah it makes like a like a and it's oddly servo sounding almost yeah like yeah just it's thrust bearing. yeah okay because we our, our x-axis thrust bearing went out on the mighty like a year and a half ago and it took yeah. over a year to get it replaced finally um and we could not pinpoint where the noise was coming from. We used a stethoscope and everything, and it just it resonated they, from the whole x-axis. It ended up being the did they time. replace it, or, or you guys replaced it? They replaced it. it under warranty, even though it's out of warranty, because the issue was started in warranty, and I hounded them for a year about it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah it's, uh, in our case, it was the thrust bearing, um, so it, it sounds suspiciously like it's your thrust bearing, which fortunately is probably one of the better things to go wrong. Yeah, Haas has probably got it locked under some sort of service key too. Oh yeah. God. So it's like, yeah. RFID tag to allow your machine God. to run. So like you can't change the 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 tool arm positions without that service key. So I can I can probably realign it without okay. the service key. You just can't make any uh what is the word? XYZ servo adjustments related to it. You can make mechanical oh. adjustments. But my issue is like it still tool changes and it doesn't yep. do anything except these marks. I'm like I'm gonna leave so it for now. Until, just yelled. yeah, until it shows a, a problem. And then yeah. obviously the y-axis thing. I'm like it makes noise and I'm yep. just gonna ignore it for now. But I mean, what that I mean, unfortunately, that does mean if you swap the thrust bearing, you have to decouple the ball screw, which means you would have to make a y adjustment. So that would be under service key. Did you say debubble or decouple? Decouple. I mean, oh. debubble is also fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, you'd have to disconnect the ball screw from the servo, and um, if you don't get it back perfectly, which you can always get it close, but you might have to make a Y a Y homing position change. Yeah, that's like one of those things. Like you can always get close, but you can probably uh-huh. never get it perfect. Yeah, I was surprised my my service techs when they did the X axis uh, thrust bearing, they got it within I think a thou and eight tenths. Damn. Yeah, I I, I re picked up my work offsets and it was like a thousand eight tenths off. I was like, oh wow, that's actually impressed. 
Not bad. Yeah. yeah, I'd like slap it back together and just probe everything back in. Yep. Yep. Mm. So, well, hopefully it's just a thrust bearing. That's that's not too big of a deal. Yeah. Yep. If not, we'll just, you know. Boat anchor. Yeah, boat anchor. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Well, I think we just hit two hours on the recording, so. <laughs> yes. Had a lot to catch up on. It's a yeah, long it special. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, yep. yeah, Good night. Good night.